everybody. Welcome once again. This is Deconstructing the Psyche. I am your host, Michael. This is Eamon. And another week, another dollar, another two dollars perhaps. Another ounce of fun. <laughs> you're, you're catching me with witty sayings every week now. We have to come up with them as soon as the time starts we should start saying smart shit did you have that prepared in advance or was that spontaneous it seemed more off the top of the head that's actually a good question right so how does you're not sure yourself how does thought occur right is it spontaneity (laughs) or is it just the chicken before the egg i don't know we'll figure that out in later podcasts stay tuned wow (laughs) we're getting everybody so excited now it is a very exciting topic yeah um well it's 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 warming up, you know, the summer's, the summer's coming, the mm-hmm. garage is a little warmer than usual tonight, correct? It is, yes, yes, correct. Well, I don't know what we're going to do in the next month or so when it starts to get 100 degrees out every day. It might be a little toasty in here. We might bring our fans and bring yeah. you the rest of the, the podcast, really. And you're just going to hear fans in the background the whole time. Possibly we'll tune them out. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> um okay so this week we watched melancholia yeah very interesting movie so it seems like you had some difficulty with this movie right (laughs) you i texted you the other day a couple days ago and i think the response was something like i tried watching it and i (laughs) i knew from that response that was not good honestly this movie i've watched it today we're we're recording on sunday Uh but i've tried watching it saturday night yeah friday yeah i even like <laughs> saw it uh wednesday and thursday okay so i yeah, was like you're, watching you're different grappling scenes. with this movie there was different i the way i try to watch it this mm. time around was mm. watch it by different parts yeah so there's a part called justine and another one called claire which yeah. are the two sisters yeah. in the film and the movie's very at least for me very abstract definitely very uh, very symbolic what i've read it's very artistic very abstract and Mm -hmm. it's open to interpretation i mean there's even in the early i mean the first what 10 minutes of the movie where we get these extreme slow motion shots that are I, i think they're graphically enhanced or something like that and even those are uh, they they remind you of pieces of art, right? Those images are very um, symbolic, really. Yeah. yeah, what were those images? So The beginning image of Justine and her hair, she's wet. Yeah. Hair is wet. Um, we have the one of her being caught in a bunch of vines and branches, which I think she talks about at one point. Oh. Feeling like, yeah, she's, she's among these these weeds that are kind of not letting her go yeah she's wearing that her, was her dream her wedding dress mm-hmm. in that one mm-hmm. um the other one is the the birds i think in the yeah. same scene where like birds think, falling the birds are falling the, the sundial the sundial is another one yeah which isn't in the movie so i guess that's one of the dreams she might have been having um, I think the sister with her son going through the golf course. That's and another sinking, one. But she's kind of sinking into the golf course. So there was something interesting about sinking into the golf course, right? The quicksand yeah. of it. Yeah. Right? And yeah. what other scene? There was uh, hmm, the birds dying, the horse. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. slow motion falling over. Oh yeah. Yeah. So a lot of symbolic. That's kind of how it opens up. Yeah. So we have no idea what's going on in the beginning. We're just, it's just a bunch of different images. Uh, It seems like they're from her dream Mm -hmm. or from dreams that might have been taking place within the characters' minds. But again, different abstract images that are happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a couple ideas of what I think this movie's about, but I'm interested to hear some of your thoughts, things that might have stuck out to you. Mm-hmm. I know you were talking about when we were speaking before the podcast, you were talking about specifically the depression. And I, yeah, that seems like it's a huge part of this movie, what they're trying to represent through the way that specifically Justine was acting and <laughs> some of her, yeah, her behaviors and yeah. just the, the acting of it all. But what it, what did that bring up for you? It's different back and forths in terms of um, the mode. Mm-hmm. So was, um, the research I did outside of the film was just mood dysregulating disorder, different mood disorders like a bipolar 2 disorder, bipolar 1 disorder. Mm. Or uh, in her case, it seemed like she had more of major depressive disorder. Yeah. But there is, in some cases of major depressive disorder, there is also uh, delusions. One perceiving things that are not really there. Yeah. In her case, she was saying that she was possibly clairvoyant mm. in the later part of the film, right? Did it really? Yeah. And she's saying that she saw these things happening. Um, oh, okay. Um, the dream she takes takes them as maybe images of what will occur in the future. Yeah. Um, for me, what really just stood out in the first part, Justine her getting married there is a joy in her and then there was sort of a sadness in her yeah and when i've worked with patients who have Mm. you know major depressive disorder there is sort of that Mm. masking that one does one pretends right one is happy for moments yeah but then as she describes later in the scene related to the roots that we talked about Mm. earlier it feels like a weight is being placed upon them. She's always she always has some type of weight on her. Correct. Right. Um, I've heard depression being described as if one is walking through mud. Yeah. A difficulty with getting out of a situation, right? And yeah, it's enough to really um, cement a person yeah. onto their bed. Yeah. Wanting to sleep for hours. In her case, she was in the tub at one point. When at one point she was in her bed. Yeah, just not wanting to engage yeah. in activities. Uh, one of the symptoms of depression, right, is not engaging in activities that one once enjoyed. Yeah, and you see her actually exhibiting that in the film. Yeah, for sure. The, the thing about the film is showing you a glimpse of what a depression could look like in mm-hmm. terms of the film. Pretty extreme, pretty extreme, though. Yeah, not. It's just happening very rapidly, mm-hmm. going from one mood to the next. Yeah, which for me was like, okay, is she not depressed, but more of a bipolar disorder? Mm. But I think for the film, I think it's really just trying to portray a person who has depression, yeah, rather than a bipolar. Yeah. But if I was working with a person like that, yeah, I would probably lean more towards a bipolar disorder. Yeah. Um. There's two kinds. There's one with uh, when one does experience mania and mm. depression, and there's another kind that one just finishes experiences the depression. Yeah, right. Um, for her, it seemed like she had a major depressive disorder. Um, yeah. Other interesting facts that we've talked about before we started the podcast was her 
um, behavior in terms of her nudity. Mm-hmm. Part two, she walks towards the the river, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and, and she's found at the river. And, she's found at yeah, the river, completely and she's naked. Completely naked. I find that interesting. Yeah, because typically you would see that with a person who is maybe, is maybe depersonalizing, right? Not really in her mind, really just abstract or um, distant from oneself, really, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you see her doing this, and she's not in her right state of mind. Yeah. She doesn't have any, it seems like, any prior drug use. So yeah. it's all in her head, really. Yeah. Right. So for me, it's sort of, again, that delusional behavior, mm-hmm. walking in the nude. We're not given a glimpse as to what she's thinking, but we can assume that um, the weight of whatever she's experiencing is affecting her at yeah. that point, that all she can really do to lift that weight would be to strip her clothing off. And Maybe. jump into the water. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, right. Because she does this earlier in the in the wedding scene. Jumps into the water. Mm. Again, um, the water an old way of treating. It was an old way of treating depression. Okay. Cold water baths. Right. Then we went into electric shock therapy. Uh, but we okay. used to think that a cold water bath would shock a person back to self regulation. Mm. And I think for her to maybe take her clothing off, walk into the water was one way to maybe shock herself back into. A reality. Yeah. I yeah. also lean towards the idea that maybe, given maybe we don't know her history, but maybe there was some molestation that happened to her, but we don't know her maybe. history. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I, if I were to diagnose her, mm-hmm. I would actually gauge for that. Yeah. Whether she has some history of sexual trauma. Yeah, for sure. Because we do see in another scene when she is with her husband, she's actually. I think they attempt to have sex in one scene. They attempt yeah. it. She says I'm no. I'm assuming to that was supposed to be their first time having sex. Yeah. Right. Like the way that the guy is so eager about it, it seems that they were they never had sex before, and they were going to consummate their marriage that night. And then she kind of denies him, and then goes and just like fucks that other guy. <laughs> It's her um, employer's son, right? Yeah, or or nephew. Yeah, yeah. She ends up having sex with him at the golf course, right? On the sand, destroying the whole marriage there, right then and there. Because I mean, apparently the guy finds out because that's why he he leaves with his family. Yeah, and it happens quickly, right? So this film is more abstract than anything because Mm. it also happens rather quickly. All the different scenes, yeah. But time time is really strange in this movie because even with the wedding, it seems like the way the events are taking place in the wedding that it's, it's taking forever. It's a very long night. It's very drawn out and -hmm. it doesn't seem like it's in real, in a kind of a real time. It seems like it's in another time almost, (laughs) even the location it's on, it's kind of on this place where there is no other civilization. We don't see any other place in this movie outside of that, uh, the place that they're staying. Right. Or when she's riding a horse. She's riding a horse, and then she tries to go over the bridge. Mm. Right. You only see them coming oh. towards a golf course, but when you go towards the bridge... That's interesting. The horse, the horse is prevented. That's an interesting idea, though. Why are they get So is the land that they're on even symbolic of depression in a That's way exactly. where you cannot leave this, th- this That's area? exactly okay. where I was going with that. Okay. It's that you try to leave mm. the area of depression because the land is sort of... <laughs> let's relate this to the song. If 
anyone wants to think about this in the way we're thinking about it, listen to the song Hotel California. Mm. You can come here, but you can't leave. Uh, okay. Um, so she's, they attempt twice. Yeah. She attempts once. Um, Justine. Yeah. Kirsten Dunst's character attempts to leave the, <clears throat> the, the golf course, the compound, but the mm-hmm. horse stops. Mm. To me, that sort of is the experience of learn of helplessness in a way. Mm. In terms of depression, there is a sense of helplessness. I can't leave this state of mind, basically. Okay, that's her depression. Earlier, we argued that Claire also isn't able to leave exactly the the film too. That's what we were talking. That's Mm. what I'm about to say is that earlier we talked about how Claire has a sense of anxiety. Yeah, right when there's an impending sense of doom. Correct, but Claire also attempts to leave with her son. Yeah, right, and when she attempts to leave, just like in her in her dream, Justine's dream. Claire is sunken in yeah. by the hail. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. But like these forces, these forces beyond yourself that are preventing you from exiting. Right. Mm. But if we take the hail as symbolic for the depression. Yeah. Right. These things are happening. These things are falling on top of you. Yeah. There are reasons why you can't leave this state of consciousness, the mm. state of mind. Mm. You're being prevented from exiting your own anxieties. Her fear was to die. Yeah. And she has to experience her fear. Definitely. Rather than experiencing her fear, which she maybe could have overcome if she would have just tried harder, right? But that's that's the difficulty about saying this in terms of mental health. Mm. Can you try harder to oh, yeah. to leave your anxiety? Can you try harder to leave your depression? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm fucking trying and I can't. You're stuck in it. But the, the part of leaving your depression and anxiety is what I just said. I'm fucking trying. Yeah. There's supposed to be an anger in you. Or desire to overcome it, mm-hmm. to be able to leave it, right? Yeah. And it also helps to have some medication. They don't talk about that med- medication in the film, mm. but being medicated can also help relieve some of the symptoms of depression and anxiety. Yeah. In Clara's sense, she goes back and starts to accept her impending doom. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't think about that whole idea about until we started talking about it, them kind of being trapped on this piece of land and. Um, there is those attempts to leave and getting bounced back and it seems like there's nothing they can do about it really and they kind of just have to return and and stick it out almost well we see in the first part of the film that because of the way it's being filmed Mm -hmm. that we have a like a first person's view of claire her wedding yeah even the camera angles are not sharp they're sort of justine you mean right? justine yeah justine's wedding the camera angles are not sharp. They're sort of tilted as if, you know, the viewer is involved. Even in the limo scene, yeah. when you're watching it, the camera kind of shakes yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So it's involving you, the viewer, as if you're observing this person's experience. Yeah. And that's the moment that we can relate to Heidegger. I was telling you earlier about the lived experience. Hmm. And this is what we're doing. We really, we're living the moment with the person through their lived experiences. But we're also observing them through their mental health condition, mm. you know. So the abstract images that we're watching is as if I think they filmed it in the ways that we're watching it in terms of the unconscious. Mm. And the unconscious is the audience. We're viewing the person who has a lived experience, right? The wedding scene, mm-hmm. which is a long scene. Mm-hmm. But we're looking looking at it, I think, as the unconscious, mm. as a person is acting things out. Yeah. We're in the distance, but watching things happen. Yeah. So we have preview to them, the experience, and the other part, the unconscious things that are we're thinking about the audience. 
Yeah. What do you yeah. think about that idea? Can you explain it again? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if we take the unconscious, there's yeah. one part of us, right? Okay. The, who we are, we're talking across from each other. Yeah. But then across from each other, there are other experiences that we're, we're living okay. while we're speaking to each other. Okay. You're listening to me based on your interpretation of my words of yeah. English language. Yeah. But we talk a different kind of English because we have two different kinds of backgrounds. Definitely. I've learned Spanish in a way, so I may have an accent with the way I communicate. Okay. I come from a place that's maybe harder in terms of communication. Yeah. Because there is sort of a sense of having to protect yourself. You come from a place similar to my background. Okay. So we can have a certain conversation in English. Mm -hmm. we can interpret each other but then you have another background that you can talk in yeah. as well okay so there's the process that we're living in right now while we look at each other and okay. then there's a process happening behind the scenes okay. as well yeah but the part behind the scenes are i think composed of these abstract images or abstract experiences yeah like a melancholia okay melancholia in the film is a great beyond mm. it's actually a in the film a big planet that's going to consume everybody yeah but then we as human beings have everyone carries a melancholia sure we carry the idea of death coming to for our lives every day that we're alive isn't that some a of heideggerian us, idea hurtling exactly. towards death yeah well even freud death drive mm. right we carry the idea that we will die some of us have this anxiety that oh my god i'm gonna die yeah I have to live right now, YOLO, mm, right? For you sure. only live once. For sure. And some of us accept that life, with life comes death. Okay. And I will live today yeah. because I know that life is only one. Okay. So, so are, you, are you talking about this in terms of um, mm -hmm. frames of reference, in terms of like the way that we're trying to understand the world and we're using different frames of reference to yeah. interpret information? And so maybe I can interpret things through the lens of a psychologist or a psychotherapist at times and then other times i can interpret it through my understanding as a uh, caucasian male exactly. or something like We're, that they call it in cognitive psychology or schemas okay you yeah. know but it's like we have the way you said it would be perfect for you know even our audience really is like the way we interpret things is our frame of reference yeah. we have and it's important to understand your frame of reference, ideally, okay. because um, when you understand your frame of reference, you then understand how to interact with people. Mm. You understand where they may possibly have come from. You understand where you come from. Mm. And we can have a civil discourse, one of agreement or one of disagreement, which we have had many. Yeah. Um, in terms of the film, how could this have helped our characters? Right. Well, the idea of the melancholy is this is great planet coming to destroy them mm -hmm. one interprets that as that's my depression coming mm -hmm. the other one interprets that that's the ending of my life mm -hmm. right one sees it as anxiety the other one sees it as the impending idea of depression mm -hmm. one sees it as an impending even idea i think of relief that death is coming and we see it that in her sense she kind of seems cured of her depression because there is some relief of death yeah you're talking about justine, justine right? versus yeah. her sister claire yeah right i mean that's one way to look at it well for me yeah how my anxiety started because i've had many moments of when i realized my own anxiety mm -hmm. when i was a kid i felt and i've heard this even in a pink floyd song when he when they were describing his flu for me it was the same thing like a flu he said his hands felt like pin cushions mm. for me when i had my first 
<laughs> recognition of anxiety, it really felt, and I was young and felt like I was a, I was a kid and it was sort of in a dream. Uh-huh. I felt like this big ball was coming and going to crush me uh-huh. and it was consuming me and uh-huh. crushing me, uh-huh. you know, and it's sort of like, yeah, okay, sure. am I about to die? <clears throat> So it feels like with this great force, mm-hmm. what's going to happen to me? Am I going to die? Right. So and, what was your response then to that? Was it more of along the lines of Justine? Oh, no. Or Claire? More of Claire. Okay. So what does that entail? Because Claire was... Well, I think it's a nice survival mechanism. Yeah, Anxiety sure. is sort of the survival mechanism in terms of okay, if I am scared of death, what can I do to be alive? Yeah. And in, and for a human being, it's good to have anxiety, right? Uh, even depression is not bad. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about the clinical depression, but the feeling of sadness can help a person empathize, Yeah. right? And the feeling of anxiety can help a person become aware of their surroundings. Yeah. With anxiety, you become like, okay, I know something's wrong. I feel it in my belly. So okay, I don't have to go down that alley because mm. it's it's potentially dangerous. Yeah. yeah. For Claire, her anxiety led her to want to escape the compound, the golf compound. Yeah. Well, it seems like she's trying to... So I guess we're kind of switching over to that character right now a little bit, but it seems like she was trying to control things very much, which seems like it yeah. would be what you would do through anxiety is you're trying to kind of always figure out what's going to happen next and right. not like have any unpredictability. And I see Claire and her relationship with her husband, mm-hmm. John, I believe Kiefer Sutherland's character right. as she, she's partially with him because that's what, that's the purpose that he's serving for her is that he's providing some type of assurances about life and about (laughs) even the threat of death. Right. And I think that John actually serves as a form of a symbol Mm -hmm. in this movie in that he's a symbol of the scientist. He is, well, he is a scientist, so it's not a symbol of a scientist, but maybe he's a symbol of the rational minded. And so the scientist is the person who's, maybe like the archetypal scientist is basing everything off of empirical evidence and is trying to use all the facts that we have to determine logical conclusions. And it's, it's a lot of what, you know, we're trying to say, we know almost like I'm, I'm sure of this, this is exactly what's happening. And that's what we find her husband doing a lot is saying, yes, yes, don't, there's nothing to worry about. Don't read those reports. I know exactly what's going to happen. So-and-so. And so she's using him a lot through this movie to quell her own anxiety. She's using him kind of as a protection measure against her own existential dread and anxiety about what's going to happen. Right. But what ends up happening is he ends up killing himself. Right. Partially because he was wrong. Right. And maybe that was too much for him to handle. Mm-hmm. But once he's gone, everything's over for her at that point, right? I find it interesting that when he, he like, you know, is gone, <clears throat> she's not mourning him. No, she's just freaking out at that point. Yeah, she's not mourning him. He's He's gone. He's dead. 
No, but it's not the freak out like, oh my God, he's dead. Yeah. It's more of like, okay, what do I need to do to survive? My pro- well, her protection is gone. That's the thing. Yeah, but it's not like... Um, the thing that was convincing her and telling her everything was okay is no longer there. She was already realizing it, though, right? She, I think so. She found the... the yeah, the measurement the measurement. Yeah, the instrument that they were using, which was like a coat hanger and a stick, mm-hmm. to like measure if whether melancholia was coming closer to them or further away. Yeah. She was finding that it wasn't true, Yeah. right? So she's realizing that death is impending. Um, yep. But I find, found it interesting that she's not mourning him, that she finds him, buries him with like, hey, that's it. Yeah. Like, no, there's no mourning. It's like, he's dead. He's gone. At that point, it's just survival for her. I don't think so. I, again, if this was a regular person and this was a regular catastrophe happening. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Then there would have been more of of emotion you would think so but it's not that and i think it's more the symbolic nature of what that means Mm. in a dream state i think when you're dreaming you're not really experiencing the person who's dreaming is not really experiencing the loss they go from scene to scene Mm. you know so this movie could also be about um just dean's own dream yeah and the wedding is her dream yeah and so it feels like the whole movie again another movie that we've seen is a dream because it is a dreamlike thing there is no real understanding of okay if this was a real apocalyptic or like catastrophe mm-hmm. then there would be new sightings there would be more being seen you would think so i would think so and there would there would have been access to a town yeah they wouldn't have been like stuck within oh, the yeah. compound there would have been more accessibility but i think for her this is the unconscious reconciling with the depression. I think mm. that's what she was doing mm. in her mind. Mm. And at the end of the film, when everyone dies, I think she found relief. Right. Because then she could probably wake up from her depressive state. Yeah. When all these different parts of the self, the logic is Keith Sutherland's character. Mm. The objectivity. Yeah. Right. Very objective. The, si- the sister, her shadow. Mm. Mm-hmm. another part of herself yeah maybe the anxious part of herself who tries to get her out of this state yeah an awareness of it yeah her mother another figure in the dream who we, we haven't talked about yet yeah her mother being an aggressive woman the father being more laid back mm-hmm. her husband being like a laid back but who gives a shit about him yeah Right. And the boss, she finally stands up to her boss in the first part of the film. Mm-hmm. I think these are different parts. Maybe the maybe it seems like it was more of a dream than anything to me, rather than being like a real storyline of a person. These are yeah. fragmentations of a person's psyche in a way. Yeah. What do you think? No, yeah, I think so. Maybe this is a good segue into what you were just referencing about the mother and one of the things I've been thinking about there is remember when John, the Clara's husband is trying to, he's kind of fed up with her. Right. Mm -hmm. And he takes the mother's belongings and puts them outside of the hotel. Yeah. And then one of the hotel workers just ups and picks them up and brings them back into the hotel. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a line after that where he says, uh, I, I was I was trying to get rid of your mother, and I think she's like, yeah, you know, you always you're always trying to do that, but she she they can't get rid of her, 
And I think that's another symbolic aspect of this movie in the sense that the mother is most likely what is hanging over the head of both of these women. Mm-hmm. And when they say, I can't get rid of the mother, and maybe that's what John wants to do, right? He wants to get rid of the influence that the mother has had on these two. He's unable to do it because it's part of who they are and it's part of their psyche in a way. And I think when you look at that mother character in this movie, you can tell from the very few lines and scenes that she's in that she has to have had a huge impact on the lives of her two daughters right well her mother gives her the advice to leave her husband right run away i mean she she is telling them she's telling justine at least i think but she's probably telling both of them don't even try don't even try this don't even try marriage she's almost telling them don't even try life (laughs) and that's her attitude too she she's at the wedding Mm -hmm. she comes late i think She's at the reception, but she's dressed in pajamas, essentially. That's why it's she, not really like it's not a real wedding. But I and I I'm, I agree with you that might it might not be. But I think that they're trying to say something in terms of who this person might be and what kind of effect she's supposed to have on these two characters. But yeah, in that she's she's projected that life is terrible and that you shouldn't even try to do things and that you need to kind of like give up essentially. And I'm wondering from Mm -hmm. a psychological perspective, what kind of impact that has on a child and their upbringing, if that's the attitude of their, the most important figure in their life. Well, we see that with both characters, Claire How? and Justine. Well, the depression and the anxiety. That's what I'm. Uh, but both, that's what I'm wondering about. Both, Maybe we could talk about is how does it? I'm wondering why it affects them differently. Okay, and that's interesting, right? I, I think that Claire ends up taking on a. She's the older sister. Right? Okay, then that's what makes sense. That's the position of where the sisters are. When is an older sister and when is a younger sister? Go ahead. Yeah. So why is maybe you're you're gonna get into what I was gonna say? Why yeah. why does Claire become the anxious one then? <laughs> the anxious one is more aware of what could happen, especially with a mother who's okay. unstable herself. Yeah. And the other one. What right, else though? The anxious one is protective, overprotective. There you go. And the younger and one she is more is. fearful. She, Claire is. Claire is taking care of her sister. Right. The whole she, movie. She does because she's, she's parentified. She's the, yeah, she's the helper. Right. And so that makes sense that she's the anxious one yeah. because she was forced into that position of mom's not going to take care of, mm-hmm. she, she didn't take care of me probably. Right. And she's definitely not taking care of my sister. And so, so I am being put into that position. Right. And so that's why she's become the anxious one is that she was the older of the two. Right. And then the younger one is the one who had to get caretaked by her sister, who is not the person that should be taking care of her. It should be her mom. Her mom should have been the one taking care of them. But the mom had depression herself. It seems like it. Or anger as well. Yeah. Part of depression 
there's a sense of anger when one has depression, but it's an internalized anger that one experiences. Yeah. Her mom was able to express her disgrief, um, her grief about life during the wedding. Not appropriate at all. No, the speech <laughs> that she gave was very inappropriate for a wedding. Yeah. That's why it didn't seem like it was a real, it, it's obviously not a real wedding yeah. because the scenes are so cut out. You're okay. experiencing it. And when we're dreaming, we're watching our lives in that mm-hmm. way too. Mm-hmm. We, we can see it because we're we're voyeurs in our own dreams. We're observers, and the, the dreams are very symbolic. They speak, you see your mother figure, you can see your father figure. I think this is actually the stuff that we miss, the stuff that we miss in a dream. But then in the film, it's sort of laid out for you to interpret it because. In the dreamlike state, you're like, okay, one scene to the next, you're here, then you're there. And you're not really listening, but you you observe that things are happening. At least this is a dream with dialogue. Yeah. You know, so we do see a sense of mother interacting with child, right? And um, you get these many different interpretations of what is happening. Yeah. It seemed like definitely Justine wanted her mom to be better than she was. You know, she wanted her to kind of actually care and be there. That's classic, right? For a child to want, you know, more involvement for a parent. Yeah. To change their parent in a way. Yeah. You know? Could have been different, maybe, you know? Yeah. That's what Justine wanted, right? A different kind of a mom. And she was angry with her sister in the film, too. Yeah. Her sister was also angry with her. Even towards the end, you see Justine coming out of the depression, but actually saying, I hate your idea of how you want us to die. Mm. You want us to die in this way. I hate that. Mm. And she picks she, the way. She kind of, yeah, she says it's stupid or it's the, it's shit. I think that's how she refers it's to it. It's a shit idea. Oh, because she wanted to die by drinking wine on the terrace, kind of. Yeah, to relax. Yeah. Just to accept death as impending. And for her, yeah. I, I would imagine that's fine. Mm. Because for me, it's very chill. To, to If something were coming at me like that, I would do something I would enjoy and just accept it. Mm. And for her, it would have been a relief. Mm. But for Justine, it's like, you, we always do what you want to do. Yeah. Everything's about you and taking care of you. Mm. So, no. Mm. If she was finally standing up to... Her maternal figure. Mm. Her maternal figure was actually her sister, not her mom. Yeah. Right. And we so, get that. We get the kind of relationship dynamics between them very early on too, where um, Claire is kind of her, her. I don't know if harassed is the right word, but kind of coming down on her sister and saying, you know, you should be happy. You should be enjoying this. We spent a lot of money. Yeah. And you can tell she's very uptight from the beginning and maybe part of a problem with, yeah, a lot of projection. Well, not just that. What? At one point, she has to throw the bouquet. Oh, yeah. And, and she one, does it for her, She right? does it for her. <laughs> what do you think that means? Yeah. She's kind of living her life for her? I don't know. She's upset with her. Her yeah. sister does not want to engage in this made-up wedding for her. Well, Everyone it, else yeah. is running her life her boss her husband her sister her mom she's the youngest one of the two everyone else has a say in her life except for her but this is part of the problem with this type of you know 
relationship between the, the siblings and it's very say, symbiotic and i'd say just in general in any type of situation like this is that claire part of the problem is that claire has had so much responsibility on her to take care of her sister right and so very controlling but for her it ends up becoming a chore and it becomes something that she doesn't want to be doing that she even though she's being put in this position that's not how she wants to live her life. She, she, there's probably something so else she that she res- would have, she's resentful resentful towards yeah. her. And so, you know, you can think about this in terms of the idea of unconditional love mm-hmm. is that all the love that she's showing to her sister is conditional. It's that you're not doing these things that you should be doing. You should be happy and you should be okay. And, like, isn't this enough for you? That kind of stuff. And you should be happy. So what she says, you're ruining your wedding. Yeah. But that's maybe that's why Justine is depressed is because she didn't receive real love from her mom or her sister because no. they were, they were constantly expecting her to be something that she was not basically. Okay, I could see that everyone had an opinion about her. Yeah. She was a people pleaser. Yeah. And that's what she's battling with. <clears throat> Even when she in the wedding has sex with another man, that's probably the only time she can do something she wants, act out. Well, that's a, that is an interesting thing too, is we find her when she's with other people mm-hmm. trying to be happy, you know, right. and that starts from that limo ride where she's, she seems like she's happy. Mm-hmm. But we're getting the sense that maybe that's not the case. And it's always when she's around people that she she's kind of in a lighter mood, but it, it quickly changes. But when she goes off on her own, that seems like that's the real Justine. And even though some of it is fucked up and she's doing some really strange things by herself, maybe that's the person that she actually is and she's never been allowed to be and it's never been able to develop itself i think that that's interesting because even when she's walking in the nude towards it that's pretty what she pretty much what she wants to yeah. do kids do shit like that too mm-hmm. you know explore themselves explore their bodies explore yeah. the world around them and i think for her it was the only sense of freedom she had was to engage in fantasy to leave yeah her reality which her reality was often controlled by her sister or her sure. mom um, I don't know about the dad. It seemed like the dad was not really involved. Yeah, what about the dad? Because he writes her a letter. The dad writes her a letter. She wants the dad to stay. She wants to connect with the dad in yeah. the hotel. Yeah. She gets him a room. She's She le- puts she, a lot of effort into she, it, right? She does. And the letter he writes to her was, Hey, Justine, I was given a... I, yeah. off, I didn't see you. I didn't find you. I'm putting it on you. The responsibility is yours. He didn't uh, try. He didn't try, but he's saying, Hey... I found a ride back home that I couldn't refuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You stupid may, dad. May, basically, it means he probably had somebody that he went to go have sex with. He, he said, <laughs> you're stupid dad. Yeah. What do you think that means? Even the way it was written. Yeah, yeah. Because the way it was written seemed like it was childish. Well, the he way- was childish the entire movie. Yeah. He, that scene at the dinner table where he's putting the spoons in his pocket and kind of messing with the guy and... He's, he wants to be the life of the party. 
Yeah, very narcissistic, right? Very uninvolved. Yeah, only about him. Very selfish. Oh yeah, but that's probably why the the mom hates him too because he cheated on her more than likely. Yeah, and ruined their marriage, and he was an asshole. He didn't care. He didn't. He didn't care, and she comes back and she's disappointed. But I think we go back into the other interpretation is that we're seeing these images as symbolic of her experience. Mm -hmm. These experiences are have happened to her in her childhood. Mm -hmm. And now she's an adult and she's still reliving this. So when you wrote your stupid dad, a father would normally not say, love you, dad. Yeah. Normally not say your stupid dad. He'd say, love you, dad. Yeah. And written in a way that's probably a better kind of hand handwritten note, yeah. rather than I think it was red ink. Yeah, it looked like it was drawn on like crayon in a way. Yeah, it was really written, or maybe it was uh, some woman's lipstick. But yeah, but it was written in a way that's very much mm. childish mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. So, I, I mean, no, it, probably a guy that has no responsibility and hasn't taken any responsibility for his family. But I'm leaning towards the idea that again, this is an interpretation of her experiences from sure, childhood sure, sure. through a dream state. Okay. And this okay. is more, more, um, that makes evidence sense. for that. That's how they were. That's how he was for her in her childhood. Okay. Yeah. And he probably in her childhood and probably how he, she experiences him now as yeah. a very childish man. Mm, right. Definitely. Okay. So I, I want to make sure that we, talk about this before we finish we might have other things to a few other things to talk about too but what do you think is the significance of the magic cave the magic cave so do you remember this yeah i do okay the magic cave is the kids um yeah that the way the way i see that towards they they make kind of like a hut for the the kid, right? So the the son of Claire comes up to Justine and he's worried about what's going to happen. So I have a story about that. Okay, go ahead. The Magic Cave. I have a friend. Um, I haven't talked to him. I haven't talked to him in a long time. Sick pothead. Very sick pothead. Okay. And he talks about these sort of things on these triangles and these sort of magic caves, at least what they drew out in the movie. Mm. And these caves are, are in triangles. So there's this belief that even the pyramids, they're, they're created in a way like the pyramids in Egypt and other pyramids are triangular in shape. Okay. Um, they're created in a way that they, they interpret, um, they, they gain energy from the shape that they're made, but this energy is actually healing. Okay. So if you sit in it the way they were sitting in it with legs crossed yeah underneath the, the the pointed part of the magic cave or yeah the sticks that they created okay you receive energy mm. and it's actually healing mm. for the person mm. because it sort of aligns your chakra or your spiritual okay. imbalances makes sense yeah do you think that's what was happening in this movie <laughs> <laughs> i think for that the magic cave for them at least served at least for the child uh-huh it's a childish belief but it serves as a way of relief from the impending doom that's about to happen yeah but absolutely for me we all as human beings have our thing yes as a way to really help us with exactly our fears or i think depression yeah is exactly what you're i i mean i I don't know if i was going to go on to the point with depression but i think uh, everything else you were saying is 
how I was interpreting this mm-hmm. is that you're so the two main characters, Justine and, and Claire, they're facing existential despair and threat. Yeah. They're realizing that death is here and there's nothing you can do about it. And I think that from my point of view, Justine is taking the nihilistic, the nihilistic approach in that I'm just going to give up. I'm going to lay down. Yeah. I'm not going to try. Yeah. And I don't think that that's just something that you would do because you're about to die. I think that's the approach you can take to life in general is that's, I'm not going to do much. Life, I'm not is, life is meaningless. Yeah. So what's the point of trying? It's, yes. it's absurd, absurd. What's the point of trying? Exactly. Yeah. There is, this is ridiculous. Camus, right? Yeah. But Camus later wrote in the myth of Sisyphus that life is actually, yeah. Absurd. I don't think that he built I don't think he believed that. No, he that, didn't believe I think it. he overcame the absurd himself and realized that That's, there was more to it. Exactly. But he reached yeah. that point. Uh, sure, through you a have sense to. of faith. If you, you go through that existential despair, you kind of have to come out that yeah. end, or maybe you commit suicide, like he said, yeah. is one of the main things people do. But he said in that book that suicide is not the answer. And others, other yeah. philosophers yeah. may have said that. Um, the myth of Sisyphus, he says it's ridiculous to commit suicide, yeah. to let life end you. Well, I think he actually says that's the ultimate philosophic question, Yeah, is but, whether one should kill oneself or not. Yeah, he does. The later he comes to that conclusion that death is not the answer. Yeah. Because yeah. although life is absurd, <clears throat> for at least Sisyphus, he was asked to push the rock up the hill yeah. and okay. back, back down. Yeah. Exactly. But that's the. Neither of those characters find that, I don't think. I think they find it towards the end or in terms of relief through the cave. Well, this is. Okay. So I think just like I'm saying, Justine is on the nihilistic end. Yeah. Life is meaningless. Claire, on the other hand, kind of what I was referencing earlier, she's trying to find constant protection yeah. from existential threat. And that might be through Her husband. Uh, other people. Yeah. It might be through <laughs> theories. It might be through ideologies. Google was one of them. Right? Whatever you might have. <laughs> Alcohol so was the last lot, one. <laughs> a lot of people do this too. They're trying to find, They're trying to find something to help them prove that life is okay and also forget about death and so this is a big part of certain books that talk about death i think the denial of death is one others as well where they say most people are just trying to forget that that even exists and that it will never happen to me in my life yeah and so a lot of those thoughts and ideologies and people that you use as protection are ways to like help you forget about that yeah so i think those are the two ways those characters have gone one character can't forget about it when she's experiencing it she's trying to be happy yeah just being and then you see her crying almost sad yeah she's fighting with it she fights her boss off the other one is just totally avoiding it yeah pretending like it doesn't exist that she's just living life yeah but so when we get to this and the end of this movie the son of claire talks to justine and He's worried, right? Yeah. He's like, what's going to happen? Yeah. And she tells him, well, you don't have to worry because there's this magic cave. Yeah. And their magic cave is we can create this magic cave and we'll be okay. Right. And it, I think this is such a great ending to this movie because it kind of, it, 
it's this thing that we cannot get around. You cannot, how, how are you to talk to a child about the fact that you're going to die? There is no way to say that to a child and be okay with it. It's almost like there's no way around the fact that you have to provide children with some type of magic cave mm -hmm. to make them feel okay and that death is not a thing that you have to right worry about. about right now or to even grapple with. But there is a conflict there because what we might be finding with the two main characters is that eventually you are going to have to. And so how do you do that when you've had to be in that magic cave mm -hmm. for your whole life? It, it's a it's a paradox because yeah. you have to have the magic cave. Mm -hmm. You have to provide it for the child for them to live an okay life. But then how do you escape that magic cave I when you're an adult? Will Smith, Will Smith did this in the movie Pursuit of Happiness when he's like inside the public restroom mm. and he tells his kid that we're playing a game right now, mm. hide and seek or something like that. And they're sleeping in the restroom inside of the subway. Okay. You know, yeah. there's a tendency to over elaborate on the truth, right? To make the imaginary yeah. real, especially yeah. for children. Yeah. We as adults do that for the child part of ourselves. Yeah. We justify our behaviors based on, you know, our experiences that we've grown up with mm -hmm. or have experienced in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. Right. So for her to say that to the kid, yeah, she is saying it in a way to to help him, but I think it's also in a way to help her too. Maybe it's whatever um, anxiety that the kid has because it helps ease her own anxiety. Could be right. Yeah, but I think that I I do believe that she and Claire are still somewhat stuck in the fact that they have not faced death in maybe the way that the the sisyphus does in the myth of sisyphus and that you have to come to well you have to come to a realization of death in your face and then well, almost like stand up to it well that's exactly what sisyphus did sisyphus in the myth tries to get rid of death mm. the gods are angry with him for doing so mm. so it's interesting that melancholia is this planet which is large uh -huh. very large planet shaped in the same way the boulder that sisyphus is pushing up the yeah. hill but then we, t we we see then if sisyphus was actually justine he would have she or she the justine if she was sisyphus would have to push that boulder up the hill every day yeah. Yeah, and that boulder is a sense her depression, but and she would then be fighting her depression every you day. To, you have to put your hands on it, and you have to face it. You, you have, have to, to look at it. it. And one of the things we're seeing in that scene in the end, when they're sitting on the grass in the magic cave, mm -hmm. is that none of them are looking at the planet. They're all avoiding it. Claire is like kind of peeking, mm -hmm. but the boy has his eyes completely shut, and Justine's faced away from it but they're all not willing to view Look. death. They're not, not willing to stare it in the face. And I think if you're talking about with that Sisyphus metaphor, 
it's almost like you have to be looking at it all the time and pushing it you with have your to hands. Fight it. When I started boxing, um, even CrossFit, yeah. the sports that I do with boxing, <clears throat> boxing is a brutal sport because when you're actually boxing people and actually sparring, people are hitting you. Yeah, you're getting punched in the face. Yeah, it's not like they're not hitting you. Yeah, you can't close your eyes because if you close your eyes and a fist is coming at you, for sure, you're gonna get hurt. You're yeah. gonna get a bloody nose, a busted lip, despite the fact that you have a headgear on. Yeah. So when I started boxing, for me, I felt like I had to overcome my own depression, mm-hmm. my own anxiety, mm-hmm. my own fears. Yeah. Because you're gonna get hit. You have to face life head on in a way if one has to wants to overcome yeah. their depression or their anxiety. Definitely. And it is very anxiety provoking and depressive. Yeah. Because you're going to be angry. You might even cry if you want to defeat your own mental health conditions. Because it's yeah. painful to actually have to look at yourself yeah. and say, fuck. Yeah. This is who I am. This is what I am. Definitely. And we see this when we when people use ayahuasca or use certain drugs to try to really face your own unconscious. But when I've worked with patients who've had severe depression, chronic depression, mm. and I've tried to push them to overcome it there is a sense of anger yeah and anxiety that happens within the person because it's just tough for them Definitely. there's a shriek that when they're actually dealing with it and actually having to make a change there is a shriek about it yeah that they in session will scream at you mm. and anger mm. but then it's welcomed yeah the anger the shrieks are like they're fighting through their depression and they're expressing how angry they've been and that's really what it is yeah pushing up pushing a boulder up a hill or facing in the sense of impending doom head on and saying okay yeah i'm accepting of this is my fate yeah kind of makes me think of there's a book bought by paul Tillich. he was Mm -hmm. a theologian called the courage to be okay and i think it was actually he was very inspired by Heidegger and I think also by Ernest Becker's The Denial of Death. Oh. And a lot of it is talking about how just the courage to be yourself and the courage to kind of make choices on an everyday basis and face what that entails and the reality of it and facing death is that's what courage is, you know, it's that, and that's what kind of makes a hero in a way. And that's all you can ask of yourself. Sometimes you don't need to do too much more than that in a way to live a heroic life, but to try to be who you are and to, and to live with that. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't, I don't think we're going to get into that topic too much right now with these characters, but Definitely makes me think about that idea a little bit. It's, I agree with you, right? To yeah. be a hero, you do have to face these different aspects of yourself. Yeah. Of your experiences. Yeah. Well, you think that's a good time to end? Can we add more? Is there more to end? <laughs> I feel like there's so much more to this movie. I don't know. Well, we're already an hour in, so I think... That's you know. a good place to stop i think we can always talk more about the movies we could probably do longer podcasts but yeah maybe at one point at this point we're keeping it we're doing about a therapy session length and 
that's usually what I say at the end of my therapy sessions. Is, is this a good time to end? You know the thing about therapy? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, this isn't a therapy session, but yeah. in therapy, what I've noticed is that when you get 30 minutes into it, mm. or like the 45 yeah, minutes, yeah. that's when the real shit starts happening. Yeah, that's when sure. both the, the doctor and the patient are now mm. communicating, mm-hmm. and the guards are both lowered. Yeah. And then the real shit starts to happen. The last like 15 minutes of session, do you actually get the juicy stuff? You know, and then it ends. Yeah. So that means for the the listeners, just fast forward to the last 15 minutes of the podcast. That's that's all that matters, really. No, our podcast, (laughs) throughout the whole podcast, there are jewels of information. Yeah, you got to build up. You got to build up to it, right? Yeah. But I think even the longer podcasts, I think some of them actually like some that I've listened to. Yeah. They kind of suck in the beginning, and then the end is like okay. There's some of them that are good. It just depends on which one you get. Yeah, it's like a different flavor at thirty. Not ours, flavors. Though, right? Not ours. Ours, is, if you're really into psychology and movies, yeah, and you want to and like philosophy. understand and philosophy from two different minds, definitely listen to us. We have a lot of ways of interpreting yeah. the psyche. Yeah. Melding minds. All right, man. Well, I think this uh, about does it. Wraps it up. I appreciate your time as always. I appreciate yours. This is Deconstructing the Psyche. This is Michael. This is Eamon. And we'll see you next week. Next week, we're doing Full Metal Jacket. Oh. Get ready. Damn, that movie's fucking powerful. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Talk to you next week. Take care. Bye. Bye.